are now listening to a very special message from Joy Community Church. ...together, and uh, spoke from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. We heard about the 70 being sent out. We were told that every generation, including ours, has a strategic purpose for the sake of the Gospel. We have apparently given the enemy enough trouble to arouse his opposition. And as we've begun this initiative of the 12 tribes, and certainly we've been serving here for a long, long time, but uh, particularly since this last summer, we've seen some remarkable challenges, uh, physically, emotionally, financially, just a number of things that have just come against the body of Christ, but we continue to stand. So we will encounter rejection, but we must remain strong. As reminded this uh, past summer, as we were talking about this initiative, I had a friend in college. He and I learned to fly airplanes together. Uh, he went much further than I did. I, I logged about 100 hours in an airplane, but he went on and joined the Navy. I, I was this close to joining with him. But uh, his dad had been in the service, and he was called to, uh, to fly Navy airplanes. So he became an F-14 pilot and eventually a squadron commander. And uh, he flew for... Uh, 18 of his 20 years non-combat. He just had quite the time. He was all over the world, flew against the French and the Egyptians and the Israelis and you know all kind of uh, exciting, fun stuff. And then after 18 years, uh, he and his squadron got called up to serve in Iraq. And uh, he said, it's a little different when you go out into uh, unfriendly territory and you start dropping things on people. They tend to not be very friendly about that sort of thing. And they start shooting back. And uh, the reality sunk in, you know, that uh, he had signed up for something that uh, was uh, deathly serious, you know, serious consequences for engaging in a battle. And uh, it's very much the same for us, that when we start stirring up the enemy, as we have particularly in these last few months, we can expect that there are going to be some shots taken. And we've had a few. And we're not done. But we must be encouraged that we are in a mission. But we must also leave the results to God. I've been reading a devotional that often cites this gentleman. His name is A.B. Simpson. He was a Canadian-born preacher, theologian, and author. He came to serve in the U.S. between the 1880s and 1920s. Uh, besides his writings, I guess there are a couple subtle things about him that capture my attention. Uh, this particular picture, for some reason, reminded me of our founding pastor, Al Gerhardt. Uh, he just had this posture when he sat in his chair with his legs crossed. You know, he was just, uh, when I saw this picture, I saw Pastor Al. I guess it's just his uh, confident, relaxed posture in the photo, but... Of course, the fact that he originally hailed from Canada would certainly endear him to our current senior pastor, James. And like all three of our pastors, including Tony Martirani, he had a heart for the underserved in the inner city, and particularly for immigrants in this country. He established the Christian Missionary and Alliance Church in an area known as Times Square, and the New York Missionary Training College, later named Nyack College. Today, the church, ironically and sadly, is home to the country's largest pizzeria. I'm focused on A.B. Simpson 
briefly today just because of a sermon excerpt of his that I felt uh, summed up the last two weeks of Pastor James' series on Stand. But in one of his many publications, The Days of Heaven on Earth, A.B. Simpson wrote this, The battle is not yours, but God's. You shall not need to fight in this battle as long as we count the dangers and responsibilities as ours, we shall be distracted with fear. But when we realize he is bound to take care of us as his property and his representatives, we shall feel infinite relief and security. He went on to say, if I send my servant on a long journey and I am responsible for his expenses and protection, if God sends me anywhere, he is responsible. If we belong to God and put our life, our family, and our all in his hands, we may know for certain that he will care for us. If our body belongs to him, it is his interest to keep us well, just as much as it is for the interest of the shepherd to have his sheep well-fed and cared for and a credit to him. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph, from 2 Corinthians 2.14. Stand up, he wrote, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Having uh, watched my grandparents and my parents age, I noticed and I was often frustrated by their need for routines. The same meals at the same times, the same TV shows, regular bedtimes, the shrunken radius of travel. My parents took interest in our young adult adventures, but they were satisfied and comfortable at home. They were young once and had some of their own adventures. Before she married, my mom took the train to the West Coast with a couple of her girlfriends. My dad hitchhiked cross-country three times as a young Marine from California to Watertown, New York. Once my, my parents started a family, they settled down and their circle grew smaller. My parents took us on some wonderful vacations over the years, but uh, all within the confines of upstate New York. So 20-some years ago, Sherry and I and our young family planned a post-Y2K vacation. We packed up our family and we took a trip out west. We had a wonderful four-week adventure with five kids and visited several of the national parks. One of the highlights was the Grand Tetons in Wyoming. The grandeur of that range to me represented the majesty and the resilience of the nature of God the Father and his word. We camped there for two days, but I felt like I could have stayed for two weeks. It was absolutely breathtaking. Before we left, I bought a baseball cap from a Grand Tetons gift shop for my dad. It was a memento from a place that he would have liked to have seen. It obviously was not the same as the Grand Tetons, but it was an attempt on my part to connect my dad with something that meant a lot to me, and I knew that he would have appreciated it as much as I. This past week, as we were cleaning out my parents' home in the back of a closet, I found that hat. 
it was in a pile of other hats that he had collected over the years. It was covered in dust, and I suspect it had not been seen or worn for a long time. I know that he appreciated my thoughtfulness at the time, but obviously the hat did not have the same impact on him that the visit had on me. Without a visit to the Word of God on some regular basis, without a personal encounter with the majesty, greatness, security, and love of our Heavenly Father, without the breath and revelation of the Holy Spirit, our faith can become something like that faded baseball cap, an insufficient reminder of a place that someone else visited. The faded and a dusty memento left in a dark and forgotten corner of our heart. The Bible then, just another book to add to a pile of books, and as Pastor James said, someone else's opinion. Tucked in a closet of other useless opinions. Outdated, without significance, connection, irrelevance. This picture hung in my parents' living room for decades. It was one of the first pieces of art that they purchased after inviting Jesus into their hearts back in the late 1970s. It was not an expensive original, but it replaced another favorite painting of theirs by a local artist that they had purchased years before that featured a quiet stream in the woods. Both pictures invited you to a peaceful place, but the second one had more significance. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. Today's message and the wrapping up of this series is called Standing Firm in Uncertain Times. I'm going to read to you from Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. You can follow along in your Bible or on your phone if you'd like. I'm not going to put the words on the screen. Uh, I'd actually like you just to kind of take in the picture while I'm reading the story. Luke 24, starting in verse 13. It says, Now the same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But he had hoped, we had hoped, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it was the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find the body. 
They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And while he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I'm not a gifted painter like my wife is, but I'm often told that an artist sometimes includes uh, some details in their work that adds a little bit more to the story. You've ever gone to an art museum, you've maybe seen people standing there for a long time studying a picture, kind of just spending time trying to figure out what it's about or what thing the, the artist has hidden in there. I've looked at this picture countless times, but only this week noticed some of the details that I'd not seen before. The first is, is that Jesus is relatively small in this picture, suggesting a few things. You see, Jesus on the cross, in the eyes of his disciples, was smaller than their understanding of what a redeemer should act or look like. How often do our problems, our relationships, our self-centeredness dictate our perception of Jesus? We allow our surroundings, our circumstances, our struggles to dwarf him. We demand that he should conform to us. We hold our own opinions in higher esteem. But we're told in Proverbs 3 to not lean on our own understanding. But too often we do just the opposite. And we come up empty-handed and disappointed. The second thing in this picture is that Jesus is making eye contact with his disciples. But he's pointing to something or someone higher than their understanding or expectations. Like these disciples, what disappointments are you holding on to? And where is the road taking you? In this passage, Jesus came alongside the two weary and crushed souls. He didn't motion them to stop or turn around or go back to Jerusalem. He didn't chastise them. He looked into their eyes. And he listened to them intently as they poured out their hearts. Then he began to explain to them a higher purpose for a suffering savior. 
Can you hear him quoting this passage from Isaiah 58, 55, verse 8? My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The third thing that stood out was that they appear to be crossing over a small bridge or a culvert, suggesting that someone, again, has made a way across the water. God made a way across the Red Sea, the Jordan River, and the Sea of Galilee. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. What impassable body of water are you looking at today? What terminal illness are you facing? What challenging adult or child has been planted in your garden? What long-term infirmity are you enduring? What financial wall are you up against? What tragedy have you recently ex experienced firsthand? If you're not facing any of those challenge, challenges, I would encourage you to go have coffee with Pastor Deborah or Ernest and Shirley Jackson or Myra and Richard Jackson or Greg and Donna Brooks. Ask them what keeps them going in the midst of caring for a spouse with a debilitating long-term illness. Talk to Terry Gorman or Ned Doty about looking terminal illness in the eye. Chat with Mark and Sue Palmer or Drew and Kirsten Smith about raising and now managing an adult on the Asperger's spectrum. Visit with Joe and Patty Wagner, Tom and Sharon Stefano, Steve and Janice Ash to hear their perspective on caring for aging parents. God is making a way for them one day, if not one step at a time. What you see in their journeys are people who are learning to surrender their own understanding and expectation in favor of his. Just ask Greg Brooks and Felipe just to stand for just a moment. Is Felipe in the room? There he is. I would suggest to you that despite their outward appearance today, that these two men are standing more securely than they did that Greg summited Mount Kilimanjaro or before Felipe surrendered his limb. The reason is, is because what you see in all these saints are lives that are surrendered to the only one who stands firm. As we continue on this road with Jesus, we stand more secure as we diminish and he increases. Thank you for standing firm in him, brothers. We appreciate you. God bless you. Finally, in this picture, you might have noticed by now that uh, Jesus and the disciples are standing in a shadow, but they're approaching the light. Notice that the disciples' gaze is fixed on Jesus and his words rather than on the path. The path will grow brighter as we yield to his understanding rather than our own. 
Psalm 139, verse 12 says, the darkness and the light, they're alike to you. Proverbs 4.18 says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until the full day. In addition to the hardships that many in this body are enduring, we're also living in an age when men and women have turned their gaze from God's face. They've sought to elevate and follow their own interpretations of truth. The path has and continues to grow darker. As Rabbi Jonathan Kahn writes, we have rejected God and invited back into our culture a dark trinity that includes Baal, Ishtar, and Molech. But God's purpose is always focused on redemption. We must turn our gaze toward him, follow closely, and move toward the light. We must surrender our own understanding. Acknowledge him and resist the enemy, firm in our faith. At the end of the story, it says that at the moment Jesus broke bread, I suspect he likely said something like this. This is my body, broken for you. And at that moment, the light came on. They recognized him. Suddenly, he and all that he'd been saying to them made sense. The secret to standing firm is brokenness. The secret is not in winning the argument or overthrowing an empire. It's not talking louder than the other person or getting more stuff than the guy or gal next to you or in maintaining or increasing your standard of living. Standing firm happens when we are broken in the process, when we seek his perspective and let go of our own. A minister named Morris Smith spoke at a, a men's retreat many, many years ago. And he said that from God's perspective, a man is not measured by what he has gained, but rather by what he has lost. As we decrease, he will increase. We will stand firm, but only in him. This verse from Isaiah 40, verse 8. It's found on the cover page of nearly every Bible. I'm not sure who decided to put it there, but I suspect that that person or publisher was inspired by God to give us a message that otherwise would sum up our existence, cut to the chase, and put all other things about this life into perspective. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. If this civilization were to use that verse as a plumb line for every other concern, debate, opinion, stance, passion, or issue of the heart, then humility might prevail. And the kingdom of God would turn this world right side up and set things in order and right perspective. The truth about standing firm is that it has nothing to do with us, our own strength, will, effort, or understanding. The word says, in all your ways acknowledge him, 
and he will direct your path. Our grass will wither, our flower will fade, but the only thing left standing in the end is Jesus, the living word. This morning, we sang, the last song that we sang, I think it's called The Refrain. Pastor Ron can correct me later. It's a different part of the song. But the words were, and it was very soft, and you, you may have missed it because it wasn't like the main part of the song, but it, just, it was just, it went on and on. It just said, I want to be free from everything that keeps me from loving you. Those are dangerous words. But that's the message that I hear underlining this whole passage today from Luke's gospel about standing firm. And that's what I so loved about the song choices this morning. As I look back on that picture of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, the first song was, Forever God is with us. What more important truth could we know that God is with us? In the midst of whatever circumstance that we're in, whatever challenge we're facing, whatever loss we've suffered, God is with us. The second song was, I'm here to meet with you. Reveal yourself to me. You'd almost think that Pastor Ron was reading my notes. I mean, he selected some songs from like the 1990s today. <laughs> and they're precious to my heart because that was early in my Christian life. I just, I love the music that we sang today. It's so, it's familiar to me. It's, uh, it's precious that way, but, but really, reveal yourself to me. As I wait, you make me strong. The third song was, Knowing You, Jesus, There Is No Greater Thing. And we're on the path through this life, and whatever challenge that we're facing, we're not eternal beings, and our bodies are growing older, whether you're in your 20s or your 70s or your 90s. We just spent, my wife and I and our kids were down in Pittsburgh for Thanksgiving, and Sherry and I and our daughter spent the weekend at the... Uh, senior living community where Sherry's mom lives. And uh, if you'd like a fresh perspective on finishing the race, then go spend three or four days in a community of elderly folks. It was a precious time, but it really puts things in perspective. When you are uh, having meals with people who run the race, and that's gonna be the last place that they live more than likely. But just to hear their stories and uh, to see their compassion for one another, it was a real privilege to hang out there. But it does make you think about how brief this life is. But knowing you, Jesus, there's no greater thing. Knowing you in your suffering and your death. That was the mystery to those two disciples on the road and frankly to all of Jesus' followers was why did Jesus have to die? That wasn't the plan from their perspective. He talked about it, but I'm not sure that they really grasped it until that moment when he broke the bread and I suggest that he said, this is my body broken for you. And suddenly the light came on. 
The fourth song, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, let heaven come. As Jesus was pointing in that picture up to the sky, I suspect that part of that message to them was in the, re- in the revelation of all those scriptures that he spoke of that talked about him, is that let heaven come. That's the invitation. Let heaven come on earth. And finally, the last song, I Surrender, Lord, Have Your Way. Father, thank you for just the privilege this morning of coming into your presence and hearing you speak to us in such a precious and perfect way. I'll just leave you with some questions to ponder this week. As we spend time in this photograph today, what details have you noticed before that might change your perspective on your circumstances? Is Jesus still relatively small in the picture of your life? Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, have you been expecting a different outcome? Have you taken your eyes off the path? and turn them back toward Jesus. Who are the difficult people in your life? Or better yet, who are you making life difficult for? Did you know that he's keenly interested in your thoughts about your current circumstances? Do you know that he's already, already prepared a way across the rivers in your life? Have you allowed your heart to be quiet enough to listen to his voice? Do you know that there's a light ahead of that shadowy place that you're in now that Jesus is heading in that direction? I would suggest that this pathway, although dark at the moment, is a pathway to standing firm in uncertain times. He's drawn alongside you in this uncertain path to offer you his perspective. So stand firm. Father, we uh, thank you for coming and meeting with us today. Lord, each of us has been on a journey. We've been on a path, Lord, and uh, headed for some place. Perhaps we've lost our perspective and we're walking with our back toward Jerusalem wondering what this was all about, that things just didn't turn out the way that we anticipated. But Jesus, thank you for coming alongside us. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for coming near enough to us, Lord, that you would look into our eyes and just begin to ask, where have you been? What are you talking about? What's on your heart? And that we would perceive your interest, Lord. Begin to listen to you about the things that are important to you. And begin to understand things from your perspective rather than our own. So Lord, we invite you into our hearts this morning. We thank you for this message series, Lord, on standing. Standing up, standing together, standing firm. Lord, we stand firm because of your word, because of your higher purpose and because you live inside of our hearts. 
Lord, as we decrease, we ask that you would increase because that alone is the hope for our lives, for our families, for our neighbors, for our neighborhoods, for this congregation, for the city, is that you would be lifted up and you would be exalted and people would see Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for meeting with us today. Thank you for your word. just like to invite the prayer team to come forward at the end and if there are folks here this morning that would like prayer perhaps you just need someone to stand alongside you today and to uh, just encourage you on your journey that uh, you've not been left alone the circumstances may not be what you anticipated but there is a purpose in this and this path does go brighter and brighter until the full day. So thank you for being with us today. God bless you and your families and walk in the grace that he's given us today. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at joycc.info.